Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Again, everybody, it is the Blue Gold Report podcast being brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. I'm Mike Rags. Going to bring Todd Burlidge from Blue Gold, uh, Blue Gold Illustrated in in a couple seconds. I do want to remind you that uh, wherever you find this podcast, make sure you rate and review us and tell all your friends about us because we want to make sure we want to get in touch with as many Notre Dame sports fans as possible. Another week closer to uh, the, everything getting started up. We are not that far away from week one against Michigan. We got a lots to do today, lots to talk about. We're going to have a special guest on the podcast later on. Uh, and uh, NBA free agent Pat Connaughton, of course, Notre Dame alum, spent three years with the Portland Trailblazers, currently a free agent working out in Boston. We'll talk to him, see what the future may have in store for him. And of course, we've got plenty of football to talk about. Some uh, freshmen that could make an impact on the team. Uh, and uh, we'll look at another opponent as we do our opponent countdown and get to uh, the next one on our ranking of toughest opponents for Notre Dame this season. But without further ado, let's bring him in right now. He is the uh, big writer for Blue Gold Illustrated, and he's a good friend of mine and ours, people. It is Todd Burlidge. Todd, a nice job last week as I was off. You always, always come through big time. Oh, thanks, Rags. I appreciate it. I'm getting a little more comfortable. I still get a little bit nervous when I went on without my fearless leader, but uh, we pulled it off. Yeah, don't get used to it. I don't want you uh, thinking you don't need me at all, and somehow I'm out of a job here. But uh, <laughs> uh, we've You're got, safe, trust me. I've got a bonus blue-gold nugget with some trash-talking. It's never too early to trash-talk in football, but we have something from SEC Day I want to get to. But before we do that, Todd's got the traditional blue-gold nuggets. Todd, what's going on? Indeed, and the usual three-pack here. Not not all that exciting this week, actually, but uh, we'll muddle through nonetheless. Some more watch list news, that preseason watch list stuff. It doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot, but it's always worth mentioning. Uh, defensive tackle Jerry Tillery and linebacker Tavon Coney, had they been named to the watch list award for the Bednarik, which goes to the best defensive player in the country. Obviously, Tillery moving over to that three technique. I think he's going to have a monster year uh, since he doesn't have to get double teamed on every snap now. And then Coney, who had what, 105, 109 tackles last year for Notre Dame, uh, playing linebacker there. I think both these guys have a legitimate shot of at least becoming semifinalist and finalist for this award. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Um, the Bolitnikoff Award came out. This uh, watch list came out as well. It's kind of interesting. This is obviously for the best wide receiver. Not a single Notre Dame player on it. I can't remember the last time that has happened. Um, you, you thought maybe Miles Boykin because they, they list so many, you know, Rags, yeah, Chase Claypool, but but no go. Um, three opponent, uh, three opponents have some guys representing him. Stanford has JJ Arcega Whiteside, Wake Forest Greg Dortch, and Ball State Justin Hall. Those are the three opponents that are on the Bolitnikoff Award list worth watching. Uh, Golden Tate won that award for Notre Dame in two thousand nine. Uh, interesting that Wimbush, Brandon Wimbush, was not named. He was not named on the Davy O'Brien Award watch list. That was kind of funny, actually, considering guys like Mason Fine from North Texas, Andrew Ford from UMass, and Justice 
Hanson from Arkansas State, they made the 26-person list. Brandon Wimbush did not. So I thought that was sort of interesting, although Brandon Wimbush did make the watch list for the Maxwell Award, which goes to the best overall football player in the country. Uh, there are also no quarterbacks, no opponent quarterbacks on that Davey O'Brien list as well. So I thought that was interesting considering the type of schedule Notre Dame plays. Who would have thought somebody would have snuck in there? Arike Ogunboale, she took home an SB this week for best play. Uh, that was her buzzer beater on Easter Sunday over Mississippi State. They're calling it now the Easter Basket. I thought that was super cool. That is cool. Um, she beat out 15 other finalists for this award. I thought that was a no-brainer there. Um, she was out in Los Angeles celebrating with her teammates, coaches, and and uh, she gave a nice speech about how important women's hoops is and how she felt like maybe she did her little part to bring more attention to the sport for good. So good for her. Uh, Notre Dame was up for two other awards, best team. Uh, that went to the Houston Astros and best moment. Um, that went to the Minnesota Miracle when uh, the Vikings beat the Saints, I believe it was on the last play of the game in the division playoffs. Um, I certainly thought when it came to best moment that University of Maryland, Baltimore County, number 16 seed, beat number one Virginia um, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That would have gotten my vote, um, but uh, that was not the case. Uh, finally, Molly. I want to add. Huck. I want to add uh, that uh-huh. Go you, right ahead, you, you would be you are wrong, and and the SBs are wrong. I, I think it's Erica Ogunbowale. I I really do. I thought that was the best mo- now. Uh, you know, it, that's just a per- you know we're biased, obviously, but uh, <laughs> I I would say if I was trying not to be biased, that moment was quite incredible because the number sixteen. I mean, that was a route. That wasn't really a moment. You know, it was kind of like it. Be true. It, it was surprising. It's just if you're talking about a moment. In time, I just I happen to think that uh, it was when that shot went in. But that's me. I understand. I understand. It was nice to see all the women dressed up and having a good time, though. That was fun. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was having trouble distinguishing between the best play and the best moment, to be honest with you. But uh, apparently, they were able to do so. <laughs> good point. Uh, last one for me, Molly Huddle. She went to Notre Dame from 2002 through 2006. Uh, she is a distance runner extraordinaire. She won the 10,000 meter uh, U.S. title for the fourth straight fourth straight year. She's won this 10,000 meter title, uh, national champion. 31 minutes, 52 seconds, point 32. She's now won 27 national titles since she graduated from Notre Dame and went pro in this sport. Um, she actually won that most recent one I was talking about 66 days after running the Boston Marathon. Uh, and for what it's worth, I thought this was a little bit of uh, worth mentioning. Uh, Huddle actually finished third in the New York City Marathon in 2016. That's very impressive stuff. And those are your blue gold nuggets. All right. And by the way, because uh, we might have some local listeners, too, of the podcast, uh, uh, Nick Westbrook from IU is one of the wide receivers. He's on. There's 50 players named. You're right. I'm surprised the Blitnikoff Award, there wasn't someone on that list. But uh, for those uh, Hoosier fans out there, you mentioned the Ball State kid, but Nick Westbrook is also on that watch list. But I've, I've got this bonus uh, blue gold nugget. And you wouldn't expect trash talking this early when they play Vanderbilt in week three. Uh, uh, Vanderbilt will be coming to town. Oh, Derek Mason, the head football coach, was at SEC Media Day uh, this week, uh, Todd, and he was asked if he's you know worried about you know week three matchup against Notre Dame, and you know he he said and and I quote, um, "Yeah, we play in the SEC. I don't worry about going to South Bend." What's up with that? With the, I mean, come on, a locker room fodder. Let's get that headline up on the board. I mean, they lost to Alabama fifty nine nothing last year. I expect the same. Brian Kelly's got to get that headline up there, uh, Todd. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. And considering when we do these these opponent countdowns, I had Vanderbilt as the second easiest game on Notre Dame's schedule. I'm not sure they're in a great spot to be uh, talking trash. But, no, uh, no. Uh, and they play September 15th if people want to get ready and just get their signs ready for Derek yeah. Mason and the boys coming to town. Uh, you know, you know, they don't even they wouldn't even be brought up ever if that line wasn't said. So that should show you where they rank in my mind there, Todd. Yeah, there you go. They're looking for some relevance. And let's get to the, uh, the the rest of this football. That, and, and you wanted to talk about, you know, maybe, and it's a good topic too, Todd. And we're going to talk to Pat Connaughton and, and see where he's heading with the NBA uh, free agency going on right now. Um, he is uh, teamless right now. We'll see what he has to say. But uh, the incoming freshmen and kind of impact that mm-hmm. they're going to make this season. And, and we're expecting quite a few here, Todd, to to actually help this team out. Um, your thoughts on some of the ones that might be the most impactful? Yeah, it's hard to narrow down. I wanted to try to pick five out, and I'm sure I'm missing some guys. I'm sure some people will disagree or think that I'm omitting some guys. But these were these were the, the folks that I think will will play right away, and I expected to have a, a, a major impact fairly quickly. Rags, before I get into this list, it's worth mentioning that. You know, with this new rule, this redshirt rule, where guys can play four games, I believe the record for Notre Dame freshmen being played in a season came in 1989. It was 14 under Lou Holtz, 14 freshmen played. That's going to get shattered this year. As a matter of fact, Brian Kelly hopes to play all 27 of his guys because they don't lose that eligibility. It's a huge bonus for coaches. Brian Kelly, he's... He's mentioned it more from a standpoint. When I first heard about the rule, I thought, okay, well, in a blowout situation, you can get your guys in there. Brian Kelly wants to groom his players and then use them in November when legs are tired and injuries have mounted and whatnot. He thinks this will bolster his depth, this this rule. So that's going to be something worth watching. But guys that I think are going to play early and often. Let's start with linebacker Shane Simon. This guy is an absolute stud. He's 6'3", 212 pounds. He's the perfect, he's sort of that prototypical rover. As a matter of fact, I think by the end of the season, I think Shane Simon will find his way starting at rover. I think he's that talented. Won't happen right away, but once he learns that position, it's a bit of a complex position. I think he'll find his way potentially into the starting lineup. Cornerback Houston Griffith. This is another. This guy is also a stud. Six foot 196 cornerback. That's a big cornerback. He's a top 100 prospect, obviously. Great length, great size. Some think he'll end up becoming a safety, but he runs like a deer, so you know he might just become a lockdown corner his whole career. One way or another, this this guy's going to get some playing time. They're kind of loaded up a little bit at defensive back, but I don't think you can keep Houston Griffith off the field. A couple wide receivers. Let's start with Braden Lindsey. He's six foot one seventy five. This guy, we all know that Troy Pride Jr. is the fastest guy on Notre Dame's team. But you watch, Lindsey might be able to come in here and give Troy Pride a run for his money. This guy is electric with the football and fast as lightning. So he's going to be a guy, it might be a little hard, be hard early in the season to crack the lineup, but it's hard to keep that kind of speed off the field. Another wide receiver, Kevin Austin. This is a bigger dude, 6'2", 197. So when you talk about a guy coming in that's physically ready to play this position and, and find some quick playing time, I think you have to look at Kevin Austin. And there's a lot of uncertainty, Rags, as you well know, in this wide receiving crew for Notre Dame. So I think there are some spots and some opportunities for some of these young guys to slip in there and make their mark. And I think Austin's certainly going to get his crack at it. Again, 6'3", uh, almost, almost 200 pounds, so a big kid for sure. And I think more out of necessity and need than anything, Jameer Smith, he's a 5'11", 200-pound running back. 
You know, we don't know what Dexter Williams' situation is to start the season. Will he be suspended? All systems seem to be go on that, that he's going to miss some time. Brian Kelly likes to have that three running back, obviously. Um, so I think you look at Jameer Smith, somebody that's going to plug in right away and, and have a chance to play. He was an early enrollee, so he had a lot of work in the spring, kind of got to know, looked pretty good in the spring game, actually. Um, just kind of has a patience about him, great vision. Um, he's not really the biggest guy, not the fastest guy, but he just kind of has a feel for the position. And if you look at some of his high school numbers, you, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, he's uh, he's from North Carolina. He's a North Carolina kid. He ran for 2,130 yards and 40 touchdowns, 4-0 as a junior. And then last year as a senior, dropped a little bit, but has still had 1,700 yards and another 27 touchdowns. I think this is another guy that's going to find the field if for no other reason their name needs some bodies at that position. So those are the five guys that kind of jump out at me, Rags. And and you brought the last two being ranking the way you were doing it. I think a lot of it has to do with the positions they play more than anything else because in, in, in those offensive uh, skill positions, that's where we're kind of just uh, crossing our fingers more than anything else sure. and see who see who will emerge because there's always a, a guy or two that you didn't see coming and I think freshman might be the best look there. You know, you look yeah. you look at the the quarterbacks on this team and 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 uh, we're in pretty good shape there. Um, and and we've been talking week after week after week about the great job that the re- recruit recruiting classes are and and how you know highly ranked they are. You thought it'd be a good idea and and, and quite interesting is. Take a look at the quarterbacks that BK has signed uh, and are recruiting rankings too, and and you know some that he signed aren't here anymore, and you know that could be a criticism of sometimes BK doesn't know what he's doing with the quarterbacks, or sometimes the competition is so heavy here at Notre Dame that the best route is to get out. Yeah, it's it is interesting, and I I know just around the country the quarterbacks probably is the position that transfers away the most. Certainly that uh, that's probably been the case at Notre Dame. Um, but I just kind of looked at it. This is actually courtesy of irishillustrated.com, Tim Priester and the gang over there. Um, they put out a composite list of all the quarterbacks that have played under Ryan Kelly, and they kind of they rated them by where they came out as recruits or their recruiting ranking. Um, interestingly, Brian Kelly actually inherited one quarterback. That was, in, that was Dane Christ, who was recruited in 2008, and he's actually the highest-ranked player on this. He was the number 22 overall player uh, when he came out, obviously, Things didn't go so well under Brian Kelly with Dane Christ between injuries and then the benching and in his second year there, uh, no love loss between those two. That was one of the guys that transferred. He ended up finishing his career under Charlie Weiss at Kansas. Um, the guys that Brian Kelly, a couple of them, he just kind of sealed the deal, but they weren't on his team yet. Remember Gunnar Keel? He was ranked number 25. He was the number 25 player overall. overall. Um, he was something else, man. He couldn't decide where he wanted to go. He never did end up playing here. Transferred to Cincinnati before the 2013 season. Had a pretty nice career there. 60% completion rate, 6,800 yards, uh, 56 TDs with 26 picks. Uh, that was in three seasons, but he ended up losing his job as a starter. Uh, that was kind of funny. Uh, his senior season, you wouldn't have saw that coming. Uh, Brandon Wimbush would be the number two highly ranked recruit on this list of Brian Kelly quarterbacks. Uh, 2015 recruit. He was ranked number 46. Uh, we don't really have to go so much into him uh, because we know uh, all eyes are on him, actually. Freshman coming in is the number four, uh, I'm sorry, number three ranked quarterback by recruiting rankings that Brian Kelly's brought in. Phil Jerkovich, number 83 overall. He was also rated as the number three dual threat quarterback among the incoming freshmen. 
this guy's going to play because of that redshirt rule. He would not have, I wouldn't think, I would almost guarantee they would have redshirted him for sure. But now that they can move and put him in in four games, we're going to get a chance to see him. I'm, I'm quite excited about that. A uh, young guy that hasn't played yet, but he's on the team. Actually, he'll be coming in next season. I'm sorry. He's a 2020 guy. Uh, Drew Pine. He was ranked number 115 overall. He's the number six pro-style quarterback. He'll come to campus when Wimbush and Ian uh, Wimbush will be gone, and Ian Book would either be a fifth-year dude or he'll be gone as well. So we'll wait and see if Pine gets his turn. 2013 recruit Malik Zaire was ranked number 162 overall. Uh, he was the number three dual-threat quarterback. He transferred, obviously. 2014 Deshaun Kaiser. He was only ranked to number 242, the number number 242 player overall, and the 14, number 14 pro-style quarterback. So you would have thought his rankings might be a little bit higher. Uh, he spent three years here and then and then fled the scene. Uh, Avery Davis, he is kind of the third stringer dude this year behind Wimbush and Book. He's cross-training as both wide receiver and running back. 2017 recruit, he was ranked number 246. He's going to see some playing time this year, but I don't think it's going to be a quarterback. 2011 recruit Everett Golson. He was ranked number 267. He was the fifth ranked, the number five pro style quarterback. He transferred. 2010, Andrew Hendricks ranked number 284 overall and the number 11 pro style quarterback. He transferred out of here. And let's see, where are we here? A couple others. Tommy Reese was ranked number 421. He's the only quarterback under Brian Kelly to finish all four seasons here. I thought that was interesting on this big list. Uh, that, that's subject to change, obviously, with some of these guys that are moving through right now. Uh, but Tommy Reese, he was ranked number 421 overall. Ian Book, only ranked number 527 overall, the number 20 pro-style quarterback there. Brendan Cook, uh, he'll be coming in, what is that, next year. Brendan Cook, he's ranked number 599 and ranked as the 22 pro-style quarterback. And Luke Massa, 2010 recruit, don't remember him much, ranked as the 34th best pro-style trigger man. He was ranked number 859 overall. So those are your quarterbacks by ranking with Brian Kelly. I thought the most interesting thing about that is that Tommy Reese indeed is the only quarterback under Brian Kelly to play all four years here. You brought back so many memories there of names that, uh, you know, just doing these shows and on radio and all that stuff, you know, how many times these names have come up? Oh, this is the guy they just signed. This is the guy. This is the guy. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, It's just a that that was a nice trip down memory memory lane. All right. uh, We're going to get to Pat Connaughton in a second here, but we do want to continue our opponent countdown uh, Todd on, you know, as we're ranking the uh, worst to best opponents that Notre Dame will face this year. Where are we at now? Okay, let's see here. We have counted down. We thought Ball State was the 12th best opponent or worst opponent, however you want to look at it. So we thought Ball State was the easiest on the schedule. Then we did Vanderbilt. Then we did Syracuse. Then we did Pitt. This week I'm doing Navy. Now, after Pittsburgh, I think any of these get a little trickier as we move forward here. Obviously, Navy's no gimme. They played last year, Rags. Notre Dame was 8-2. and two. They Notre Dame actually trailed in that game 17-10 midway through the third quarter, uh, scored a couple, couple late touchdowns, and uh, won 24-17. But it was, certainly was not easy. Um, and and that, it never seems to be anymore. If you remember last year, Navy possessed the ball 43 minutes to Notre Dame 17. That was crazy. Um, it's believed to be a school record for the fewest Notre Dame minute, fewest minutes Notre Dame's ever had in a game. Um, so that was kind of interesting right there. When you talk about class rankings, Navy usually comes in, hovers around 80 or 90 as far as their classes are concerned, probably closer to 90 it looks like. Notre Dame's typically in the top 15, 
So when you're talking about uh, talent-wise, Notre Dame certainly would hold the advantage. Navy was only 7-6 and six last year, Rags, which is sort of interesting because it's only the second time going all the way back to 2003 that Navy had more than five losses. They've been really a model of consistency. Um, so that was kind of interesting right there that they did struggle a little bit, especially after starting 5-0 and last year. They were 5-0 and and then finished the season 7-6. and now, they did have a big win in the bowl game. They beat Virginia pretty big time on that. Uh, they were kind of plagued by injuries a little bit, but uh, you're going to get a quarterback tandem this year of Malcolm Perry and Zach Aby. Um, these guys, Aby was the starter last year, and then Perry came in when Aby got hurt. Uh, Perry had 1,182 rushing yards and averaged 8.6 yards per carry last year. Aby had Aby added 1,400 yards on the ground and had 19 touchdowns. Um, again, they only returned four starters on defense, but it doesn't seem to matter. It's such a system-based team. When you talk about Navy, you don't really worry so much about how many starters they return because you know what you're going to get. And I mentioned that that thrashing of Virginia uh, was 49-7 to uh, in the military bowl. So certainly they righted the ship at the end of the season. This is always an interesting game here. You know, I mean, it used to just be a pencil in that W when Notre Dame would play Navy. But uh, think about this. I mean, Navy beat Notre Dame in 2007. 2009, 2010, 2016, and they've actually had Notre Dame on the ropes in 2008, 2013, 2014, and I mentioned the game last season where Notre Dame trailed midway through the third quarter. So certainly there's a big disparity in talent. Notre Dame, I assume, will probably be a three-touchdown favorite thereabouts, maybe a 20-point favorite. Eh, Maybe not, since they keep the possessions down. Maybe a two-touchdown, 17-point favorite. But certainly the trick is, you only get about 10 to 12 possessions against Navy. You can't turn the ball over. you got to make good on them. I think Notre Dame will be fine in this game. Keep in mind, it is being played all the way out in San Diego, so that could be a little bit of a tricky situation. But Notre Dame does have its bye week before the Navy game, so they get a little extra time to prepare for this triple option. 13-76-1 and one, uh, is the record. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, always that offense just uh, gives them fits. And and it always seems to like be at some point in the season, Todd, when they play this team, that it's a turning point game for Notre Dame. They're either going to go in one direction or the other. They're always playing Navy at a time where we're, we're, we're up in the air as to where their season's going to go. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I'm looking at it here. It's right in the middle of the season. It's October 27th. Um, so it's after the pit game. Um, after the bye week then as well. So what is that, 12, 11, 10, 9? It's game number 8 on the schedule. But you're right. It's It seems to be a pivotal pivotal game one way or another. And I don't know if the trip to San Diego is going to matter. I think the bye week to prepare for Navy was more of an advantage than traveling all the way to San Diego sure. to play this game as a disadvantage. Well, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Travel is going to be an issue with what they're doing with the Shamrock Series as well. Right. And the greatest game they ever played in my memory is a loss for Notre Dame, right? I mean, that's got to be that triple overtime game, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was at that one. That was something else. Yeah, and you mentioned it with Syracuse at Yankee Stadium. You know, they talk so much about improving in November. That's been sort of the mantra for this offseason. But when you look at it, four of their last five games, starting with this one, October 27th, four of the last five games are on the road. You play Navy in San Diego. You go to Northwestern, which could be a tricky game. You come home and play Florida State. And then you're out to New York to play Syracuse. And then you're all the way on the West Coast the following week to play USC. So if you want to improve in December, certainly the schedule makers didn't do Brian Kelly, or I'm sorry, in November. Uh, the schedule makers didn't do Brian Kelly any favors. 
Uh, I do want to point out, too, before we get to Pat Connaughton, uh, individual single game tickets and parking tickets are going to go on sale Thursday, 6 o'clock. That includes the Shamrock Series as well. Uh, so uh, just so you give you a heads up, obviously, und.com, buy tickets. Um, the following day, on July 27th, uh, tickets and parking can be purchased in person at the family ticket office down at Purcell Pavilion. So uh, you want to get your tickets because you know how these things can go fast. So individual game tickets... That is Thursday as we record this, uh, July 26th at 6 p.m. All right, let's bring him in now. Good friend of the show. Always a pleasure. You know, we're talking some football, but it's kind of the down season before camp really gets into swing. We thought we'd dip into uh, not only Notre Dame basketball, but the NBA free agency because we're going to bring in uh, Pat Connaughton, former star here at Notre Dame. And uh, Pat is in Boston now as he's training and uh, hoping to sign real soon with the team. Pat, uh, it's uh, Mike Rags and Todd Berlich here with the Blue Gold Report podcast. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Appreciate you guys having me, as always. I always enjoy being on. Yeah, Pat, uh, you know, it's interesting. First thing I wanted to ask you is we we were growing up, and I'm a little older, obviously, than you, but even in your age growing up, I just didn't remember NBA free agency and the offseason being such a a huge deal, and now, obviously, it is with all the moving movers and shakings. And now that you're ensconced in it, knee-deep in it, do you remember a day where we cared about so much free agency? No, it is kind of wild. I mean, growing up... um, I, again, I, I was probably just young, but I, I always remember it being more about the draft, more about you know guys that uh, are within the organization via the draft. But you know, we're in a different age, and also obviously, um, you know, it, it adds some excitement to the game. It adds something to follow throughout the summer, and in reality, you know, the NBA is becoming an 11, 12 month a year league with all the things that happen with summer league, the draft in June, summer league July, free agency July. You know, August becomes really the only time where things seem to die down. But again, last year I'm pretty sure Danny Ainge couldn't in August, so maybe that's not the case either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, Pat. So bring us up to speed. Three years in Portland—that looks to be wrapped. Is that official at this point? Um, I mean, I don't know if anything's ever well, official, especially like we like we just touched upon. You know, with free agency uh, being such a big thing, trades happening here and there, but. Um, I would say um, the, majority, the, the likeliness of me going back to Portland is probably um, low, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully, I can you know find a team um, you know that's excited about the you know steps up and strides that I've made uh, over the last few years, especially last year, and uh, can continue to build upon it, and you know be a little um, more consistent with some of the, the flashes that I was able to show last year. Pat, you know, I think what jumps out at me is is you, you mentioned it right there is your steady improvement and you finally got a few minutes last season, eighteen point one per game, and you averaged uh, the scoring average jumped to five point four, a couple rebounds a game, uh, a little bit over one assist a game as well. So what's the process now, Pat? What what are you doing? Are you are you and your agent reaching out to teams? How does all this work at this point? Yeah, you know, I think um, you know a lot of it has to do with. Um, the agent and, and GM's talking. Um, that's kind of the way uh, it works. I, I'll, t- I'll jump on the phone with a GM here and there. If they want to speak to me, get to know me, if I had worked out for them through the draft process or whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, for the, for the most part, it's handled that way. And obviously, you know, the, the goal is to, to grow in my game even more so than I did last year because you know, I think there were times throughout the season where, um, I was able to play great, and then there were times where, you know, like anybody for their first season really playing, 
um, there were times where I needed to improve on. We're talking with Pat Connaughton, uh, currently an NBA free agent there. Let's not give up your time in Portland yet. I mean, you can take credit, NBA Summer League champions. I mean, let's go, Pat. I mean, before you say goodbye, they did win the Summer League. I don't know if that means anything to anybody. But how would you, uh, you know, obviously you guys had that disappointing, uh, really got blindsided in the playoffs last year by the Pelicans and Anthony Davis. If this is your end in Portland, your three years there, uh, give us a sense. How would you describe your time uh, in Portland? Uh, you know, I would say it was it was a, an amazing experience. You know, I can't say enough great things about that organization, the things that they did for me and helped me, um, you know, improve. I would say, you know, obviously the head coach, Coach Stott, was, uh, you know, very important in all of that, you know, believing in me and being one of, being the only guy to play in all 82 games last year, um, you know, kind of shows, uh, you know, how our relationship grew and how we were able to, um, he was able to, to trust me uh, on the floor, you know, to become a legitimate two-guard in the NBA. Um, and then I would say the assistant coaches did a, a tremendous job. Uh, their, their relationships that, you know, I fostered in Portland that I'll continue to have you know, throughout the remainder of not just my basketball career, but, you know, many years after that. So uh, I'm at, uh, I just want to th- thank Rip City. I, mean, I wouldn't uh, have had the season I had last year if it wasn't for all the people within that organization. Yeah, for sure. Pat, okay, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. Obviously, your basketball is still first and foremost uh, on your front burner here um, as you pursue uh, your NBA career. As you, you know, as your career extends in the NBA, do you still is, uh, is baseball still out there? Is that still an option up the line for you? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I've always been a, a guy that uh going to Notre Dame and learning uh, from the business school not to ever close a bridge before um, you know it's forced to be closed uh, someday maybe I think right now I'm focused on basketball and I'm uh, focused on free agency and I'm focused on um, you know trying to you know find a team that is looking uh, forward to, to having me and helping me grow and, and continuing my NBA career as long as I can but um I'm hoping someday uh, I can throw on a baseball uniform and go for the bigs, just maybe not until a uh, 10, 11 year career in the NBA. Outstanding, outstanding. Talking to Pat Connaughton, um, obviously a Notre Dame, former Notre Dame great player here, currently free agent in the NBA. W- what are you up to now, Pat? What, what's, what's, uh, what are you doing day to day? Just working out two, three times a day. Um, trying to play uh, a little golf after the workouts are done. Usually uh, I'm pretty tired, but. Uh, you know, uh, that's a, that's the way it should be. Uh, as a 25 year old trying to be, uh, <laughs> in a professional sport, uh, you know, you should be pretty tired, uh, after the day. So, uh, just working out. And you're back home? To be the best, uh, yeah, to be the best basketball player I can be. Pat, uh, I mean, let's talk about Notre Dame real quick. Uh, last year, it must have been frustrating for you to have to watch uh, what happened to them with Bonzi's injury as they, they hit that big-time lull in the middle of the season. They couldn't get out of their own way. They did rally a bit and got into the NIT. How much were you able to, to, to keep an eye on that team there? You were in the middle of your thing, and how disappointing was it for you? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, tough. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm a Notre Dame guy through and through, not just from playing there, but you know, going to school there, playing baseball there, and, and to see those two guys, uh, guys that you know were freshmen uh, when I was a senior, that last class that I uh, played with, the little battle with, um, to see it come up short like that, um, and have some injuries that had the effect, and, and that whole nine, um, 
was disappointing, but at the same time, you know, they're guys I'll know for a long time. They're guys that, you know, I'll uh, befriend uh, for a long time um, for life. And, um, you know, Coach Bray will definitely write the ship, and I'm excited to, you know, be able to get back to campus and potentially, you know, start coming back a little more often with Jaron in the summer. So I work out there. I've got to make sure that, you know, we keep that NBA connection with guys that come from Notre Dame so that, you know, recruits and things like that know you can get the NBA out of Notre Dame. All right, I got to ask real quick: Where were you watching? Who were you watching? Eric A. Uh, Ogumbawale shots? Were you high fiving Damian Lillard at the time, or were you? What were you doing? Did you see those games? Yeah, I did. I was actually with a um, few of my buddies. One who uh, won a national championship in Notre Dame soccer, and then one that I grew up with uh, out in Portland watching uh, those games. I think I was able to watch one. I wanted to we had a game during the other one, but. Uh, it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, I couldn't have been more thrilled for her, more thrilled for the you know women's program, more thrilled for um, Notre Dame as a school in general. Uh, you know, obviously Jack Swarbrick's uh, I'm very close with, so so to see what he's done with all the you know athletic programs, but to to see that shot go in, to see her you know become uh, you know uh, a, a world basically a United States wide name, a worldwide name was really cool. Um, so uh, I was thrilled for her. I was thrilled to, to see Kobe jump in and get involved. It was awesome <laughs> to see the love that she got from all different areas. Yeah, that was that was cool. Hey, last one for me, Pat. Until we're gonna we're gonna pull a surprise on you here shortly. But you're involved in a lot of other things outside of athletics. Could could you kind of share with folks what, what the other types of charitable things you do and that type of thing? Yeah, you know, uh, I started a foundation called With Us. Um, the goal is just. To, to bring access to athletics for kids um, uh, across the country and hopefully someday across the world. Just sports have done so much for me throughout my life, um, taught me so many different values. I want to make sure that, um, you know, kids are able to have that access that, that aren't, uh, you know, fortunate enough to be given it to uh, all the time. So that's the goal with that. And then just being a part of the communities that I'm in, being a part of the Notre Dame community, the St. John's Prep, where I went to high school, whatever team I play for, and just work for and athletes that, you know, want have dreams and aspirations and trying to help them get the most out of the things that they're able to do. All right, Pat, we're going to pull a little surprise on you. I have this thing we do with the guest. It's called Rapid Fire. I have about 12, 13 questions or so here. We're just going to good, good, quick answers. We'll get to know you a little bit better on this, so here we go. I think I know the answer to this first one. Favorite NBA team growing up? You think you know or you know you know? <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm going to have you answer it anyways. Uh, Boston Celtics, no doubt. <laughs> Former Notre Dame teammate you stay most in contact with still? Jaron Grant, no doubt. If you had to pick one singer or a band for a road trip, you had to listen to one singer or a band for a road trip, who or which would it be? For a road trip, so that means I'm playing a game, so probably uh, a rapper, maybe like Travis Scott or, um, you know, Jay-Z. Nice. Favorite sport growing up? Uh, whew, that's tough. I was playing all types of sports growing up. I think, honestly, one of my favorite sports growing up was football. Um, I didn't necessarily uh, play it all that competitively until I was in high school, but um, football, basketball, baseball, those are my go-to. <laughs> uh, your most memorable moment at Notre Dame? Uh, definitely winning the ACC championship. Um, I think that was something obviously not. Um, many people can say that they've gone at Notre Dame 
um, had been able to do for basketball. So I think that was really special. Um, but I had a lot of great memories that stemmed from away from sports and, and you know, with the, the kids in the school, the school pride, and just getting to know so many people from that community. Favorite city you've been to? Uh, I mean, besides Boston, probably New York. Okay. Best player you guarded last season? Um, Kevin Durant, for sure. I think, <laughs> you know, he's one of, obviously, I think it's on, he's the top top two. I, I'm even one, but um, he's a great player. Uh, I will say this, I was having one time, he's 0 for 1. <laughs> Very nice. Steak or lobster? Ooh, steak. But I would throw some lobster on with it. Yeah, there you go. Favorite vacation spot? Hawaii. What Can't kind say of car I've been there very often, but would love to would love to be there more often someday. Yeah, amen. What kind of car do you drive? I drive a Jeep Wrangler four door. New England or Manhattan clam chowder? New England, come on, man! It's my hometown. <laughs> it's my home area. How many games will the Notre Dame football team win this season? How many games are they playing? They're playing uh, <laughs> twelve regular season in a bowl, so thirteen. No, I think they're going to win thirteen. I got faith in my man no, Brian he, Kelly. He's a uh, prep alum. He graduated from where I did went to high school. You want to say right. fourteen is ideally what you want to say because they got to play two playoff games. Come on, guys. Ah, this is true. My bad. My bad. And last one. How many different ways has your last name been pronounced? <sighs> Seventeen, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got, Pat. Thanks for thanks for playing along with us. Hey, Pat, I got a bonus one. A food cart you'll miss the most in Portland. Toy Fusion, no doubt. <laughs> all right, my friend. Well, thanks. Go back to your golf game. Enjoy uh, your training. Hopefully you get signed soon here so we can root you on next season. I appreciate that, guys. Thanks for having me on. Todd, that was uh, Pat Connaughton, and obviously a good friend of the show. Great kid. Um, we wish him the best of luck. And, you know, we're, we're waiting to hear him trying to find, you know, he's had an interesting career so far. He mentioned it, and, and we were talking. He's played every game, played every game last year, got in every yeah. game. So he's durable. Uh, he just needs the minutes and needs to find a good landing spot uh, as we, uh, you know, we wish him well here. And it sounds like, to me, I don't know if you got that impression, we're just going all the way ba- basketball now. Kind of, kind of beat her. He kind of beat around that question a little bit, didn't he? But yeah, yeah I think uh, it was interesting. I didn't realize, and he brought it up that he was the only Portland Trailblazer to appear in all eighty-two games. So you're right, durability not a factor there. He steadily improved. I, I don't think he's going to have any problem finding a landing spot. I just hope he can find a landing spot where maybe he can get 25 minutes a game. I hope it's a landing spot where maybe we can go to some games, too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Better yet. That'd Better be kind of nice. All right, Todd, uh, before we go here now, just uh, so people have in mind, what is it? it's usually the end of the first week of August that they go to training camp, and, and then it's when it's fit. Have they announced the official start day for training camp for the football team? No, I've not seen it yet. I do not have that email yet. But yeah, you're right. It's typically, Brian Kelly typically, if I'm not mistaken, has his press conference on a Monday, I believe it is. And then the practice with no pads start on Tuesday. That's typically when they go down here to Culver Military. They spend some time down there, and then they come back, and, and away you go. It'll be here before you know it, Rags. Uh, that's for sure. I know. I've got a countdown clock running. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> uh, Todd, great job as always. We'll do it all over again next week. D.L. McComb and Sons brings you the Blue Gold Report podcast each and every week. Uh, Todd and I will be back next Friday. Todd, have a good one, my friend. All right. You too. Thanks, Rags. 
This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.